This is Joe Cole, and you're listening to the London is Blue podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode, that's right, of the London is Blue podcast, hopefully your favorite Chelsea podcast out there. And look, it is a busy, festive season here at LIBPHQ, but Dan, one of your hosts here, we're not slowing down. We are not taking as much of a break as others might be during this season because the fixtures just don't stop, and Chelsea have another tasty opportunity to pick up some points to climb up the table when facing off against Roy Hodgson's Crystal Palace and of course you know what this is it's the preview podcast where we're looking at the ways that Crystal Palace have been playing their current form again this is being recorded after they had the 1-1 draw against Brighton and before before really you know a lot of the other fixtures that kind of took place over the boxing day period uh just to get ahead of it a little bit sam but we're gonna get people as much information as we possibly can on where crystal palace are currently where the weaknesses are on the side and then how pochettino and team might be able to take advantage of this opportunity a golden opportunity to really start making some inroads on a plan to get up the charts to get up the table and to try to find ourselves back into a European qualification spot. Yeah, well said, Dan. I think it's an interesting run of games because uh, we've sort of been clubbed together in terms of the clubs that we're going to face stylistically against Manchester City, Arsenal, Tottenham. You expect to play a certain kind of game against well-organized sides with the ball. Now we've suddenly come up against Everton, Sheffield United. Now it's going to be Wolves, Crystal Palace, all these teams that like to sort of not play with the ball as much and and play transition. So it's an interesting time for Pochettino. I think if he has a certain ideology in mind in terms of how he wants his teams to play when we have about 60% plus of the ball, it's as great a time as any to try and put that into perspective and do it consistently over three or four games. So I think it's it's a good time for us. Um, we've done pretty well. We mentioned on the Wolves pre-board that, you know, these have been a couple of games where we had the lion's share of the possession, the Newcastle game, the Sheffield United game, tricky, tricky ones to come up against. But we managed to navigate it despite, I would say, a little stale first halves. We've you know, come out roaring in the second ones and and grab the game by the scruff of the neck. And I hope that we are able to do that from the first half against the opponents that will be facing soon. So, interesting time. I think Porsche will be looking forward to the challenge. And, uh, yeah, hopefully we get uh, one over one of the veterans of the managerial scene in Roy Hodgson. Well, we're going to look into all of that ahead of this result, Sam, and ahead of this uh, opportunity for Chelsea again to pick up points. We want to thank everybody for supporting the podcast, and you can do that through a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We always appreciate those. You can also, you know, as you're hanging out with friends, loved ones, maybe watching this game with people you don't know or people you're just meeting for the first time, recommending the podcast. It's always good to get a verbal endorsement to somebody and to recommend it. Yeah, you know, even grab their phone, help them subscribe to the podcast. It'd be really great. And you also hit, go to YouTube. You can subscribe there and hit the bell icon to get notified when we drop new videos. You can sign up for Sam's wonderful newsletter, the London is Blue Dispatch, every single Wednesday. An absolute banger, a quick little read to add some wonderful thoughts into that noggin as it relates to all things Chelsea. And then you can join in the conversation on our Discord. And, you know, it's a 
couple bucks to get in there, but it helps support the podcast and helps keep us doing tons of free podcast episodes for you every single week of the year. So get stuck in, get involved. We'd appreciate it. But look, let's talk about Crystal Palace, where they're at right now. Record in the Premier League, four, six, and eight, sitting on 18 points right now. That's good enough for 15th in the table. Not a really great position right now for Crystal Palace. Their home record, one, three, five, and six at Selhurst Park. And look, Selhurst Park is a little bit of a dump. So, you know, uh, does that translate? Potentially, because they're a waveform. Much, much better. 3-3-3 with 12 total points coming from that. 18 total goals. We'll talk about the fact that six of them have come from one person, I would imagine. Goals against 26. It's 1.44 game. Goal difference of minus eight. It is expected, though. We look at the XG. Not everybody loves it, but the XG would say that they are underperforming. XG would be 22.5. Expected goals allowed would be 24.6, so their expected goal difference would be a minus 2.1. But again, they're underperforming in the goals that they should have scored, and they're letting more goals in than they should have prevented. And that last match, as we referenced earlier, was a draw against Brighton. And as we start to look at the squad, who's not available, again, we're recording this a few days before the match, but just at the moment, they are missing their best goal scorer, which would be a good sign for us. But I would say that, you know, even though they don't have a ton of people beyond, I would say, two goals, they do have a lot of people at two goals, Sam, which I think is a a good thing for them, that they are not, I mean, not like so dependent, but they are also, you know, seeing some people who are coming back from injury and some of those people with two goals are actually you know, have not played even a thousand minutes in the Premier League season this uh, this year. Some have only played eight hundred minutes or six hundred minutes, and they're scoring two goals. So, like, there are some positive signs on that front, and uh, maybe the injuries are not as serious. Or do you think that there are some pretty big misses there? There have been big, big misses, I would say. Uh, but just our luck that you know most of those guys come you know, into the fold as soon as we are going to meet them. So I think it'll be interesting to see how Hodgson changes tactics. I think it's been a tough time for him overall. Just to give you a picture, they're winless in the last seven games. So losing four, drawing three, uh, 17 out of 29 assists and half of their 38 goals last season came from just three players. And those three were Wilfred Zaha, Eberich Eze and Michael Olise. So Zaha's left. Uh, Olise has made five starts and Eze has made nine starts. And in that absence, there's just been an extreme lack of firepower. So it just looks like they're, you know, they were completely drawing blanks every time they tried to to fire shots at, at opposition defenses. And that's hurt them very, very badly. It's just you don't associate a lack of, you know, fluidity or a lack of goal scoring with Crystal Palace. I think with the players of, of the quality when you see on paper, they're supposed to do a lot more damage. So I think now that they come back into the fold, we'll see a better Crystal Palace. But like you mentioned, um, Otson Edouard has, has scored quite a lot of goals. But Mateta brings a completely different profile. So you'll try to sort of go from a guy who's good at finishing, running in behind defences, to somebody who's good at knocking down second balls, which might not be good from him, from him individually, but will be very good in in terms of bringing the guys behind him into play. So it adds a different dimension to prepare for, which will be, uh, I mean, which will be interesting to see how Poch deals with that. 
But the other big one I definitely think is Chet Tukore. He was being linked with around an 80 million move to Liverpool before they moved on to other midfield targets. He's their destroyer in chief. Excellent when he's trying to clean up stuff in terms of dueling prowess, in terms of just screening his back for, I think, one of the best in the Premier League. So he was very key. And the guy who's come in for them, Chris Richards, not as good. So it just looks like their central midfield is just suddenly porous. And he, I think, will be a, a huge, huge miss. Joel Ward also, uh, he's played 16 of the 17 games so far. And uh, his injury is apparently a little serious, so I don't think he will be available. And I think it's major because it forces them to to not play a back five and it limits them to a back four. And then you put somebody like a, um, a Nathaniel Klein at fullback, which could allow for a little bit of exploitation to happen uh, when we come up against 1v1. So big, big misses, but also big guys coming in after long layoffs. So as we kind of get into all of that and get in a little bit deeper on the style of play and where those weaknesses might be, we're going to dive into that after this break. So stay tuned. I'll be right back. All right, Chess fans, we're back with another partnership through the end of the year. We got NordVPN coming at you to make sure you are safe and you're able to watch Chelsea no matter where you are traveling during the holiday season. A lot of you know I just got back from Costa Rica from Thanksgiving with the family, and guess what? I used a VPN to watch Chelsea while I was traveling. Uh, I was able to watch it on Peacock, no problems at all. So if you're traveling out of the country this holiday season, make sure to get NordVPN so you don't miss uh, when we play Wolves on the 24th, when we play again after Boxing Day, and again, Again, before the end of the year, there are tons of matches coming up. You don't want to miss a single one. The other thing to think about, are you want to see, watch match of the day? Are you trying to see the BBC coverage, Sky coverage? You can do it with over 5,000 servers from NordVPN. So if you go to nordvpn.com forward slash London is blue, you're going to go ahead and pick the plan that's right for you. And we're going to give you four extra months for being a fan of London is blue. That's right. You get an extra four months hanging out with us. We absolutely appreciate you checking them out. Now, if you aren't using a VPN, hey, I hate to break it to you. You're the only one. Not only do they keep you secure and all your information is encrypted, no more IP address tracking. The other thing is they've doubled down and they've added threat protection feature. So say goodbye to intrusive website ads, malware. Even if you download an infected file, threat protection kicks in and deletes it before it makes a mess of your computer. Go to nordvpn.com forward slash London is blue. Try it. Huge holiday deal. There's no risk. You get a 30-day money-back guarantee with NordVPN. That's how much they believe in the product. Support our sponsor, NordVPN.com forward slash London is blue. Go watch match today. Go watch Chelsea if you're traveling. Never going to have to worry about being tracked on the internet again. Link in the description. You know what to do. All right, Sam. So for those who are not maybe familiar with the Crystal Palace of this season, uh, one that has been able to get a 2-2 draw against uh, Manchester City, much like we have, uh, and then also lose to teams like Bournemouth. So, I mean, very much, I almost would say similar to the fact that when we talked about Wolves, very much a whack-a-mole side, where you don't necessarily know which version of Crystal Palace is going to show up on the day, and a side that maybe is you know, I get maybe say more comfortable, um, you know, being able to kind of play with the ball though. It, it feels like the moment that they're 
they end up with 60% or more possession of the ball, they, they do tend to have a really, really bad time. So, I mean, most of their losses, the loss to Bournemouth, they have 59% possession. When you look at their loss to Everton, 3-2, 67%. The loss to Luton Town, 2-1, 61% of the ball. So I, I feel like they're not going to want a ton of the ball. They're going to want to let us, uh, you know, maybe dictate some of the tempo and try to respond accordingly. I think interesting point. It's, I mean, I would say those games, like the ones with, you know, a lot of the ball, Everton, you you sort of reference Luton down. One or two of those key guys were missing. So I think if you do give them a little bit of the ball when Eze and Olise are in the side, then it does add a pretty good quality there. You don't want to mess around with it too much. I think a full-strength Crystal Palace is able to do both those things pretty well. They've got a lot of pace in behind. Uh, Schlup, for example, sort of carries the ball really well. And uh, I don't think the other two guys need any introduction in terms of how good they are with and without the ball. So uh, they've done it. I think in the last seven games, like I mentioned, have had a hard time. But uh, you just want to be prepared for both sides of the game. I think they can hurt you in different ways. Uh, and it just looks like us on the Graham Potter. You know, you've got the players to to change the look of any game, but it isn't just clicking for them for multiple reasons. And I think we'll sort of like discuss in terms of how their play style has been and, and how they've adapted to that uh, in the next section. Well, yeah, maybe you can even get started on the fact that they, they also don't like winning games. Um, they they are very adverse to the idea of winning a match and are one of the few teams who maybe their most recent form is not as good or you know is is worse than rather Chelsea's current run of form. Yeah, just to highlight, all their clean sheets came in the first three months of the season, and uh, they haven't had a single one in the past month and a half, and that's I think eleven games. So it just tells you how unstable it's been. So I think it's it's also tough. Hodson has sort of had to adapt. A lot of people look at our side when when we've had injuries and with the formational shifts, with the personal shifts that we've had, you know, Colville playing at, at left back, Tisasi playing at right back. Uh, in the presser, if you saw today, uh, Pochettino quite visibly annoyed at people asking him, you know, why is Gusto not going to start or why is Nkunku not starting? It's it's just been difficult for him. And I think he, there's a lot of restraint in wanting to make sure that your strongest players come back at their own time when they're 100% ready to go. And I think that's what's happened with Hudson. You look at their Crystal Palace side, that they were playing 4-3-3, 4-2-3-1 last season. This time they started with like a 5-4-1. That's, that was the starting position against Manchester City. So extremely defensive. Um, you know, they had Mateta, like I mentioned, somebody who's tall, can also add a little bit of hold-up play, can link up with guys behind him. So they added that to the mix. Uh, but essentially losing to Kore, for example, they had to get Chris Richards, who's not as proficient, like I said. So he's a midfielder who often drops into the back four and makes it a back five. So again, a lot of the complaints that have come about Roy Hudson has been that he's been too defensive, that they're boring to watch. And probably, you know, it's a it's a huge disconnect from the football that they were playing under Patrick Vieira uh, at their peak. And, and they've got the players to sort of execute a swashbuckling, very exciting brand of football. But it's just been, you know, pragmatic is, is the kind of word that I would use here. So, um, but right now, I would say that the 
USPs of the side is that it's got a, a very good centre-back pairing. You know, Mark Cahey, obviously Chelsea fans know him very well. And uh, Anderson, very robust CB pairing. Both of them technically secure, able to pass it. You know, Anderson's got extremely good long passing from, from the back. Gerhi can also sort of ping passes through lines. So both of them are very good at that. Also very good across the ground in terms of dueling. If you try to put anything, even in wider areas, both of them get there very quickly and they snuff out any threat. So I think defenses has been working for them very well, at least on the ground. Decore's loss is a bit of an issue, but they're trying to make it, you know, as dampen it as much as they can. Um, I'll just say, like, for the example, for this game, I was, for this preview part, I was watching the 2-1 loss to Liverpool, and they managed to basically nullify almost all of Liverpool's threat from wide areas. And we talked about the 5-4-1, and what that does is you've got you know, three centre-backs, you've got one wing-back, you've got one wide midfielder. So it makes it very difficult for anybody from wide areas to get into good positions without having at least two people on you. So when Mohamed Salah was trying to get into good positions, he was always doubled up. And for the longest time, they just couldn't do anything. It was in the first half, Liverpool just managed 0.29 XG, which is abysmal by their very, very high standards. And they had zero big chances. So, Crystal Palace actually did a really good job. And Liverpool still couldn't do anything until, you know, IU was sent off uh, in the 75th minute. And Salah scored the, the exact next minute, almost like 50 seconds later. And then Liverpool went on to get the second goal. So, um, again, I think it's it was a game strategy looking at trying to nullify the opponent, which is what people don't want. But um, it was necessary. And I think now that the other guys are coming in, the injured guys are coming in, I think they will go slightly more attacking. I expect them to go maybe like a 4-3-3 or a, or a 4-2-3-1 and not go into a 5-4-1, but maybe go into more of their regular 4-1-4-1 where they're still able to, to mount a good attack. So I think that's going to be how the game looks when it comes with us. And, and it's not going to be pretty. I think with the quality that they have, do you do you think they're going to set up very similar to the way that they played Tottenham earlier in the season when they did have a, a fair number of those players available? Because, I mean, that, that was a game where Tottenham had only a single shot on target. They won 2-1 because of the, the Ward own goal. Um, but that feels like I probably like maybe the best comparison for like how I think they might try to to really frustrate our side. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think those earlier games when they had people fit – uh, when there was confidence and, and there was still this inclination to play their way, I think that's when it looked very good. But it's increasingly like the out-of-possession stuff has increasingly looked like it's it's damage limitation. So uh, I think that will shift now. I, I expect it to shift with the guys that they have. And we'll talk about it in terms of the weaknesses also in the next section because you know a lot of the criticism has come um, with why are you doing or why are you playing such negative football and what the repercussions are on attacking play. So I think overall, when you look at it, it's just damage limitation until our guys come back. And now that the guys have come back, what happens? Yeah, and as we maybe get into some of those weaknesses, I mean, I know you're going to get into all the injuries and how that 
injury knock-on is the fact that their backup in a lot of scenarios is not necessarily anywhere near the caliber of player who likely is going to be able to do a same or similar job in the position. And I think, you know, maybe how they're a little weak in, you know, kind of aerial defense. So that might be another place where Chelsea could try to find some some value for money as it relates to ways to attack the side. But I think people are going to want to know maybe just about how we're going to move the ball against the side. And know when we watched the Newcastle match, we saw a team that was you know, struggling initially to to work out via the wings and, you know, kind of go one-on-one down the flanks. Like, is that something that Chelsea are going to have a challenge with as well with this, this side? Or is it something that is a weakness of this Palace side that Chelsea might be able to attack? So there have been interesting approaches in terms of how Liverpool dealt with it or how City tried to exploit it. Um but I think, like you mentioned, some of the, the weaknesses, I would start with maybe the structural one. So what happens is when you go into a 5-4-1 and the longer the pressure is on you, if there's sustained possession from the opposition and Hodson always wants his three lines very close together. So Madetta or Edward, whoever it is that's playing loan forward, has to drop and make sure that there is no central space or he's you know actively closing down even in his own half. What that does is it's harder to counterattack. And it's just trying consistently to to play longer balls, to have longer sprints, and there's a lot more ground to cover. And obviously, if your attackers are only going to be on ball, really good attackers are going to be your two wide midfielders and the front guy. Sometimes I would say it leads to just, you know, attacks fizzling out. Uh, when I was looking at their numbers, they are on top of the dispossessed boards and the miscontrolled metric in the Premier League. You know, and it, when you look at the counter side, they're also fourth for take-on success. And they're also fifth for tackle during during take-on percentage. So they're, they're sort of like fifth best at evading challenges because they have good ball carriers and, and they're able to do that. But... With the negativity that has come in, it's just harder for them to mount attack. So I think if they do go into a defensive setup, it just makes their transitions tougher if you keep the ball, which I think Pochettino would want to do against Palace. So I think that's something that he might be actively looking at, saying push them back, you know, try to figure how to nullify their transitions first. And, and then you have a double bonus of where you can just crank on the pressure and force the kind of mistake that, you know, Kieran Trippier did in, in you know, stoppage time and, and gave it to, to Misha with a header that he should have definitely cleared or headed back to his goalkeeper. So that's one to keep an eye on. Uh, the second we've already talked about, so injuries. You know, Sam Johnston was their first goalkeeper. He was, I would say he was losing form. So I think this one sort of come at the right time for them where they've introduced Dean Henderson. Uh, he made some very good saves. In, in the last game against Brighton, but he had two absolutely shaky moments. One where he tried to claim the ball, fell over, and then tried to catch it again, and it popped out of his gloves. And essentially, he was flat on, on his hands, and Brighton had the ball and then basically had the goal at their mercy, but they didn't score from that. So, uh, new goalkeeper, still figuring out, but he's got good numbers so far. He's done very good in, in the two games that Johnson's not been there. So uh, he comes in, uh, the other guys I've mentioned. So it's, I think, going to be an interesting coping tactic, how they manage in defense, because I think that's weakened because of the injuries. Uh, Nathaniel Klein, I think, could be one that you could target 1v1. He's, 
I would say the more attack-minded fullback for Crystal Palace. So he's regularly trying to bomb forward. He's regularly trying to to give some kind of uh, an effect from from wide areas. Maybe now that Olise and Ezeir back into the side, maybe they scale that down a bit and expect us to target that. So maybe he holds a more conservative position, but defensively you could try and, and go at him. I think there's something to be done there. Uh, you mentioned the great point about them being eerily weak in defense. I think only Anderson is is probably the most reliable and solid centre-back in the air. Gurhi, his numbers are maybe he's won as many duels as he's lost. And, and Tarek Mitchell is extremely poor. I think he's around 39% aerial success percentage. Klein's sample size is very tiny. He's won, I think, four. He's attempted four aerial duels in five games. And uh, he's won three of them. So it's a tiny sample size, but he's done well. And uh, if you go against the last game, in the game against Brighton, Tanya Welbeck actually towered over their DM, Richards, and he headed the, the ball in for their equalizer in the 82nd minute. So it does look like you can target them from crosses as long as you're not going up against whoever's against Anderson. Target any of the other guys, and I think you're good to go. And the last one I would say is that they can be pretty vulnerable when, when they're pressing in build-up. They are a bit hesitant to commit numbers. And, and when they do, it just looks like they can be bypassed quite easily. So Liverpool did it very consistently, not just through the centre, but also wide. Uh, there was this lovely sequence where Joe Gomez started um, past the ball wide and there was a third man run from him, which took him past, I mean, six Crystal Palace players towards uh, the back line. And, and this happened with regularity. So it does look like their pressing structure is loose. They don't quite know how to coordinate. They've got good hard workers. If you look at their central midfield, it's less on-ball influence, but more hard-working guys like Hughes. And they have Jefferson Lerma, who's who's a good destroyer, I would say. But um, on-ball stuff is weak. I think there also the lack of quality can be exploited. So yeah, lots of interesting things. And and I would say that these are the major weaknesses that Poch could look to target when we come up against them. Well, we'll talk all about how we think Poch might solve these problems and the personnel he's going to look to deploy to try and get it done. But we're going to take our last break. And when we get back, we're going to get into all that along with some predicted starting lineups. And, of course, as always, our guessing game on score predictions for the match. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. All right, Sam. So, you know, just for the, you know, to let the listeners know, we are doing this ahead of the Wolves match because we, you know, we're, we're trying to enjoy our holidays as well as much as we can. So there may or may not be injuries to players who, you know, hopefully are not getting injured in the Christmas Eve match. But if that were the case, it may impact, you know, just the individual players. So let's talk maybe more thematically. Uh, what are the ways that Pochettino is going to try to dismantle this Hodgson side and pick up three points uh, against a another London-based Premier League team? I think it would be just playing to what we've done right in the last couple of games. The most of the stuff that I would emphasize is try to make sure that you offer some semblance of control. I think what's looked great for us is that when we've had more control and the lines are more compact, then the midfielders have done really well. I think Conor Gallagher and Caicedo against Newcastle were superb. 
there was just easier for them to close down distances and win their duels and, and get those recoveries in when you have a more compact side. I think the four centre-backs also helped in their own way. Obviously, Badia Shield didn't have the best of nights, but in just terms of recovery structure, in, in terms of rest defence, it just made a lot of sense when we had more of the ball. It just looked like we were easily going to keep a clean sheet, which hasn't happened when we've been free-flowing. So I think that control, again, needs to be emphasised against a Palace side that's maybe still trying their, to get their best players up to speed. So get more control, make sure that they don't break and then you get to control their transitions. At least you know how to break them down. And the two points I would emphasize, the first one is that when you look at formational stuff, they do tend to struggle against 4-2-3-1. Uh, like I mentioned, the three central midfielders can't exert a lot in possession in terms of creativity numbers, in terms of just incisiveness. I don't think there's enough uh, when when you go vis-a-vis -vis quality that we have in midfield. So I know Enzo's missing for this one, but you could probably go without that third central midfielder in, in the 4-3-3 and accommodate an extra attacker and see how that plays out. Obviously, you have to be, again, make sure that with four attackers, you don't go on a ball-losing bonanza. So you sure. have to be more conservative. But I do think that you could do without that extra midfielder and figure out if that extra attacker gives you something in between lines or trying to break down when they try to go into their low blocks. I think that's one thing that, that you could do. The second is, I mean, I know it's probably a little too early and, and Pochettino is listening to this. He's going to be cursing me, but I do think that this could be in Kunku's game. Um, I oh, saw that Sam, game against Newcastle. <laughs> Music to my ears. Music to my ears, sir. It just it just lends itself very well to uh, how the game's set up, what Palace don't like to do. Um, I saw Anthony Gordon play against them, and what he did really well was obviously he started out wide, but he played one-twos inside towards central areas. And when he went there, he was able to essentially cause a lot of doubts in, in Marker's heads. He was able to get in between lines. He was able to dribble at the back line. Uh, play these lovely one-twos into the box. That's something Nkunku excels at. And it's something that he did in pre-season as well. We didn't use him as a number 10 uh, predominantly. We also used him at left wing, but somebody who was basically tucking in to what Tuchel called the half-winger position. So somebody in between an attacking midfielder and a winger. So I think if you get Nkunku there from the left wing, make your fullback, the right-sided fullback, defend on his wrong side. If it's Klein... He's going to have an issue coming inside, so that's going to be something good. And in that Newcastle game, uh, which I think they lost 4-0, there was this lovely moment where they crossed from the half space to the far post and Gordon was waiting there and he basically like got his goal from there. It's something Nkunku is also very good at. If you go and see his hat-trick against Manchester City for Leipzig, just far post positioning, waiting for the ball to come and heading it in. So I think those things... I look at it and I'm saying, you know, if you give him a start here, give him 60 minutes, I think he could cause some real damage, provided he's fit. But stylistically, I'm looking at it and saying, if I had a fully fit in Kungu, 100% I'm playing him on the left wing and, and asking him to run right. Well, that would be absolutely delightful, and I'm sure no one is going to turn you down on the idea of Nkunku scoring goals and making a statement game against this Crystal Palace side. You know... 
I guess the question would be then, as we start to look at, at it from a lineup perspective, so we talked about maybe sacrificing the third midfielder with Enzo being likely unavailable to, I would imagine then you're having Gallagher and Caicedo as your midfield with a combination of Nkunku, Palmer, one of Sterling and Mudrick, and then either Jackson or Broya, or are you going one way in, you know, in terms of your attack, who are you, who are you making those decisions on? as it relates to Sterling and Misha and Armando and, and Nico. Yeah, I think I, I would sort of back out of this one then, purely for the reason that there's just such a short turnaround. Uh, if you look at the next game after that, I think there's like one day in between and then we go to Luton. So I think there will be conscious sort of thoughts in Pochettino's head that he needs his attackers and everybody to have a lot of fuel in the tank, considering Luton have two extra days to recover. So that will be playing on his mind. I, I think he does go with maybe two, three guys he rotates out. Uh, he's done that against Everton. He rotated three guys out. So I don't know if he rotates one of the centre-backs. So maybe like Badeshil gets a rest. Uh, I don't know if Disasi gets a rest. I don't know if Silva gets a rest. So I think I expect maybe like two or three changes to happen. And maybe like, you know, a little bit of balancing act going into the Luton game. So like you mentioned, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, Misha starts and on the right side, Palmer's benched. Uh, or if Sterling starts and on the left, we see somebody else. So it could it could happen any which ways. And like you mentioned, is it Jackson Broya? I think Broya gets at least 60 minutes in one game. I think I'm looking at it that yeah. way. So so I think, yeah, it's, it's a difficult one to call. So I... I sort of feel uncomfortable predicting this one. Uh, maybe like Poch is going to look at the numbers and say, okay, you know, this guy is in the red zone. This guy is, you know, at risk of injury. So let's just manage the minutes and start this guy instead, which is fine. I wouldn't debate it. Yeah, maybe if, if the, the thought is more around what the solution from a fullback perspective is going to be. You know, I think we've we've seen the four center backs at the back. I know it's not everybody's favorite nor necessarily the winning formula at all times for our lineup at the back. And now with Bono Gusto being back fit, we saw the trial of him as a left back. Uh, we'll likely get more data points in the Wolves match when, when that transpires. But that might be the other one where there is a thought on what do we do from a fullback perspective to try to support our attackers and get our defense a little bit more solid, particularly as we want to continue to give Petrovic a good introduction into the Premier League, give him an opportunity to pick up some clean sheets, give him an opportunity to really you know, get in command or in control of that position in between the sticks. Yeah, I think momentum is a very important thing. Obviously, you want to keep things as consistent as they've been in a good winning run. But uh, yeah, I think there could be necessity in, in sort of induced changes. And you can't debate it. I don't think there's anything that we can do. But like you mentioned, maybe it's uh, figuring out what's the ideal structure without changing too much quality. I actually like the 4CB system. I think I'm going to get hate for this. Uh, but uh, there are some things that I genuinely enjoy in terms of how we've looked. When you look at the numbers in terms of defensive actions, how Badia Shields performed, how individuals have performed in that 4CB system, um, even when, you know, 
guys like Sheffield United, for example, tried to go long to Ollie McBurney. We lost a lot of aerial duels. I think uh, Silva was the only one um, with 100% or he was the only one with 0%, one of those two things. But the rest of the guys basically uh, couldn't win an aerial duel. The first aerial duel against Ollie McBurney, he won 8 out of 10 on the, on the evening. But we were so compact. All four of those centre-backs were so close together. Kaiseido was basically waiting for second balls. We didn't give them a chance to to get out of there at all. They just kept going long and counterattacks kept dying. Nothing happened. Nothing happened. So we we managed that really well. Um, barring Badia Shields error against Newcastle, those things also worked out very well. Gallagher and Kaiseido did an excellent job in terms of recovery. So there are some solid aspects that I think Pep also enjoys in Manchester City when you've got those um, guys who understand the anticipation of where the second ball is going to go, how to deal with those aerial situations better than central midfielders or fullbacks. So there are some benefits, but like you mentioned, I, I do expect Kusto to play as soon as he's fit. He mentioned that in his presser today. So as soon as he's able to play 60 minutes, I expect him to play and then maybe Tisasi or Badishil to be rested. But uh, yeah, I mean, I would, I would sort of lead into this and say, what's your prediction on the score? And I'll ask you to go first. Oh, well, you're putting me on the spot there. But when I took a look at what Crystal Palace's current form has looked like, the fact that, again, we, we have a couple players who are questionable to make this one, the fact that they've had eight, you know, enough players score two goals, but also they've had plenty of games where they just have absolutely blanked. But it's only one. They've only had one game in that last run, in that last run of seven, where they haven't scored a goal. And it's actually like in a total, when you look back even further to the win and the loss that took place before that, yeah, that's nine games. So out of the last 10 games, they haven't scored in two of them. So to me, it feels like they they likely will get an opportunity to score, um, though they were kind of saved in the, uh, the Brighton match. So, uh, maybe you could argue that they weren't going to score. Though maybe we just kind of swerve it and it's just a casual 2-0 to Chelsea and that would be a wonderful way to let it happen. I, I feel like it's doable. Uh, I know these come back to bite us when we don't get it right, but hopefully I'm right and that's not the case. Yeah, I would, I would absolutely agree with you. I mean, you pointed out the numbers out of the last seven, five games where they've also conceded two goals and uh, it's been against Bournemouth, it's against Liverpool, City, but also against Luton. So, um, that's that's a good sign, but um, we don't want to get ahead of ourselves and basically hope that Olise and and Eze don't cause as much damage. So I would also go for a two-one. I think it's going to be a pragmatic win. That record, like you mentioned, at home, not as good compared to the one away. So I'm hoping for um, some kind of a, a turnaround and and for them to sort of drop their away record as well. And uh, yeah, hopefully it'll be a good one for us, but narrow win. I think 2-1 does does it well for us, so, yeah. Well, we would love to hear what people's thoughts are when we drop this pod. If you can hit us up on socials, whether that's on X, on Instagram, on Discord, our wonderful Discord community on YouTube and the YouTube comments, let us know what you're thinking, what the result might be. Will Chelsea get the win? Will we get a draw? Or will we suffer a crazy defeat against Crystal Palace? Hopefully not the case, because that is not the way we want to round out the end of the year. We want maximum points and a climb up the table. But Sam, that's going to do it for this one. We want to thank everybody for listening. Thank all of our wonderful supporters. And uh, to all those Chelsea fans who are listening, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.